Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bougay, and I'm here with Rachel Madel. What's going on, Rachel? Chris, I have the most fun story to share with you. Are you ready? Okay, I cannot. Yes, yes. This, I, the smile on your face has really got me intrigued. Okay. So I, as many of you guys know, I've been splitting my time between LA and Hawaii and I just got back to Hawaii. I hadn't been in Hawaii for like over almost two months actually. And I, on Friday, got to go to a Jack Johnson concert in Honolulu. I am a huge fan of Jack Johnson. I love his music. I've loved it for years and it was a total bucket list check moment being like, oh my God, Jack Johnson is going to play in Hawaii I'm totally going to this um I've I like I said I've loved his music forever and the fact that I got to see him play in Hawaii which he lives in Hawaii he lives on the north shore of Oahu which is um the island where I spend most of my time and it was just like surreal I like couldn't believe that I got to see Jack Johnson in concert so our family is a huge Jack Johnson. We're all huge Jack Johnson fans. Our introduction to him was that he had some songs, get this, on the Curious George movie soundtrack. And so we had that soundtrack and we listened to it when the kids were young. And they were like, what else does this guy do? And that, that was our gateway into more Jack Johnson. So you got to go to a concert? I got to go to a concert. So I was sitting at the Waikiki Shell, which is kind of the venue. And it's just beautiful. It looks like the the amphitheater looks like a shell. There's also like beautiful palm trees. And you can see a view of Diamond Head, which if any of you guys have been to uh, Oahu, that's a, you know, huge, uh, like kind of volcanic mountain crater um and it was just like amazing it was at sunset when it started and it was just like the most amazing experience i at one point went to go get water and jack johnson's very much into environmentalism and so there was like you know definitely a big kind of no plastic kick and ended up getting a uh, reusable cup and they had like water stations and you could fill up your cup Anyway, so I went to grab a cup of water with my friend and I was like, where am I right now? I got real turned around. I couldn't find the water station. And then all of a sudden I realized that like Jack Johnson had just come on and I was right in front of him. (laughs) We somehow like managed to get into like the VIP kind of area that you walk through to get to the VIP seats. And I was like right in the middle, standing right in front of the stage (laughs) as Jack Johnson was singing. And I was like, I don't think I'm supposed to be here, but I'm just going to sit here and dance and I'm going to take a video and I'm just going to like love life right now. And then eventually like they were like, um, excuse me, you have to go to your seats. And I was like, well, my seats are up in the lawn, but I will dance all the way across this thoroughfare as I'm listening to Jack and watching him live in Hawaii. And then eventually I made my way back up to the lawn area. Uh, but it was amazing. I like basically got like a VIP mini session with Jack Johnson. That's amazing. (laughs) It was so great, Chris. And then can I tell you what else happened? Because it's a crazy story. Wait, that's not the end of the story? You didn't just dance across the the whole pavilion with everyone watching to you back to your seats? There's more to this story? There is more. The next day, I went surfing at my local surf break. And I've been, you know, just learning how to surf over the last year and a half and getting a lot better. It's a lot easier of a wave to try to surf in Hawaii. Wait, I'm going to ask you there because you're using uh, local jargon. You're using key vocabulary, stuff that people only... When you say your surf break, it's not like you are working and taking a break. You're, You're making it sound like that's a location you go to. What's a surf break? A surf break is, you know, a specific area of the ocean that you're surfing in. So they all have different names. So when you're looking out to the ocean, it's like, oh, well, that's canoes and that's pops and there's all different kind of locations and they're called surf breaks and that's different than the beach yes it's different than the beach the beach would have a name and then the surf break would have a name exactly so it's like when you're talking to people about where you're surfing you're talking about the surf break that you go to Um, and there could be multiple surf breaks within one beach now see this is a great example sorry to to to, because i want to hear the story and we'll leave everybody on bated breath to find out what happens um but this is a great example of key vocabulary where maybe if you were an aac user in hawaii or you are an avid surfer you might need that sort of phrase i mean i guess break but surf certainly is more of a key vocabulary than or like fringe vocabulary than the word break which we would probably see a lot more frequently but that combination and having it fast 
Wow, isn't that a great example of location-based key vocabulary? Yeah, and then I also would program all of my local surf breaks in there so I could just quickly access them when I'm telling people where I'm going surfing. Awesome, awesome. All right, so then what happened? Okay, so I went surfing on Saturday morning. Concert was Friday night. Went surfing on Saturday morning with a friend. And I was paddling out and looked to my right, and I was like, oh my God, that looks like Jack Johnson. And so I kept paddling. I was like, no, there's no way Jack Johnson would come to my local surf break. That's pretty beginner and like very crowded and touristy typically, Uh, which I don't know if you guys know this, but Jack Johnson actually was kind of in line to become a pro surfer and decided that he wasn't going to be a pro surfer and said he was going to pursue his passion for music. So Jack Johnson is, you know, a good surfer and people know that he lives on the North shore of Oahu, which people who love surfing know the North shore of Oahu. That's where pipeline is and all these huge waves and all the surf competitions happen typically in the winter time. So I'm like, there's no way that Jack Johnson's at like canoes, which is like my local surf break. And so I'm paddling to my friend, Sarah. And before I can even say anything, she's like, oh my God, I just talked to Jack Johnson. And I'm like, oh my God, was that him in the green shirt? And she's like, yes. And I was like, oh, like I should have said something to him, but I didn't know if it was him or not. And I just couldn't believe that he was there. And so she like told me all about their conversation. He asked, she of course said, I was at your concert last night and I had gone to the concert with my friend, Sarah. And she was like, you know, we talked about where I sat and he asked me how the acoustics were. And I said, I was on the lawn and they were really good. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was so jealous that I wasn't able to be right next to her. And I was actually running late. So I feel like if I would have gotten there on time, I probably would have been able to talk to him uh, because I've always wanted to, to share and actually shared a lot with the people that I was at that concert with a special story to me because Jack Johnson actually um, has a special place in my heart. Um, and it, it was like a perfect opportunity, I feel like, to tell him that story really quickly. Um, and so, you know, we, we kept surfing and I was like, I want to try to talk to him. And so I caught a wave and I went right by him on the wave. I was like, OK, thank God I caught a wave and Jack saw me. I mean, I don't know if he actually saw me or not or noticed me at all. But I was paddling back and then he caught a wave and I saw him and I threw him a shaka, which you guys can't see this. But a shaka is a Hawaiian kind of greeting. And it's when you hold your pinky and your thumb out kind of to the side. Um, Um, And so like a shaka is like a way, a very local Hawaiian way to be like, yeah, man, what's up? Um, So anyway, I threw him a shaka. He smiled and I was like, oh my gosh, this is my time. He's going to, he's going to come back in. He's going to surf back in and I'm going to talk to him. And he never came back. That was totally his last wave that he caught in probably for the day. And I never got to tell him my story. Well, okay, so you don't get to tell him the story there. That's a sad ending to that story, except what if I told you I had it on good authority that Jack Johnson is a talking with tech listener? Okay, so should I tell a story for Jack? I can't can't tell you that because I don't know that, but it's possible that he might be listening or someone here might know him and be like, hey, you got to hear this story. They're talking all about you with surfing, and and this person had a story that they wanted to share and they didn't get a chance to. So I'd say take the opportunity now because you never know with the Talking With Tech podcast. I mean, we could go viral, Chris, and Jack Johnson could know about us. (laughs) Okay, so you want to hear the story? I do. Okay, so when I was living in Philadelphia, which you guys hopefully know at this point, I'm from Pennsylvania originally. I've kind of moved to the California and I have my practice in LA and now I'm kind of spending some time in Hawaii, but I'm originally from Pennsylvania and I remember distinctly kind of a time period of my life. It was specifically during graduate school, uh, which those of you guys are listening, maybe you guys are grad students and you're like, oh, grad school feels so hard. I think we all can relate to kind of some dark times during our graduate program where we were super stressed and really busy and felt like we weren't, you know, doing good enough. And I don't know about you, Chris, but I had, you know, this pressure that we, I don't think we could get below a C Um, in our program otherwise we would get kicked out and so like Mm -hmm. that level of pressure was so intense Um, and you know for me being an overachiever and a perfectionist at heart um, it was just like oh my gosh I have to do so great Anyway, setting the scene, this is Rachel circa her, you know, challenging grad school years. And I also, also, when I lived on the East Coast, battled with seasonal depression. And, you know, in the wintertime, I would always get really sad and never really understood it and kind of started learning about seasonal depression and, you know, all of those things. But 
in the winter when it would get super snowy and cold and we would have a snow day, I would make a point to, and, and I'm talking snow days like we're stuck inside, like no one's going anywhere, right? I would make a point to play Jack Johnson really loud, and he has a song called Banana Pancakes. Have you heard the song? Of course I've had it, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely. Make a banana pancakes and pretend <laughs> yeah. like it's the weekend? Yes. Yeah, so he talks about how it's so rainy and there's no need to go outside. So obviously it wasn't raining, it was snowing. But I would just, you know, I would make pancakes or some other type of baked good, and I would just sit in my little apartment, and I would watch the snow, and I would think to myself, one day, like I'm going to live somewhere where it's sunny most of the time and it's warm and it doesn't snow and it's by the ocean and I'll have the chance to, you know, live my best life and not be sad every winter. And what's crazy is that like that is actually what I did. I eventually moved to California and LA, which I had, you know, access to that ocean. And now even better, I'm spending a lot more time in Hawaii, which also has a beautiful, amazing ocean. And so like his music really got me through dark times in my life. And I'm just like so bummed I couldn't tell him that because I feel like it's such a great story. Uh, but it's like super meaningful to me just being able to see him in concert. And when he played that song, it was like an emotional experience for me because I was like, you know, you, you like really impacted me in ways that he doesn't even realize and think about that ripple effect that he had um, on probably on so many people with so many different, you know, uh, so many different people's lives. It's so interesting to think about that ripple effect, um, you know, and I feel like we can circle that back to the work that we do you know, in, in, in schools and in private practice, you know, depending on where you live, like, you know, we take for granted the fact that we have all this knowledge and all this information that we share. Um, it's kind of like our craft, right? The same way that like Jack J Johnson shares his music, we share all of the experience and wisdom we've learned over the years. And, you know, what feels like common knowledge or basic to us, because we've said it a million times or, you know, for Jack, he's played that song a million times, you know, it can make such a profound impact on the people that are experiencing that. Um, and so that's kind of like the parallel to, to our, our work that we do as clinicians. Um, but yeah, it was an amazing, it was an amazing weekend. And I'm just like smiling from ear to ear because it just feels like such a such an, a magical experience and also like thinking about me so long ago just being so sad and depressed and uh now just like being able to live my best life and you know kind of fulfill all of those dreams that I had for myself well you know something we talk about a lot Rachel you and I kind of behind the scenes and if I, I think if you go back to some previous podcast episodes we've talked about it a little bit on the podcast but uh once upon a time in some of my presentations, I, I would launch the presentation with this thing called the obligated to share challenge, like come li listen, participate, you know, and then it doesn't end here. Find something that you it's not I'm not inviting you to share. I'm obligating you to share. Uh, and that sounds like if Jack Johnson hadn't done that music and hadn't made that song Banana Pancakes, then maybe you would need some different inspiration to manifest your dreams uh, and make them a reality, which is exactly what you did. Right. And so I guess a way to to wrap up that point is that if you're there by yourself, then you're alone. But if you share your knowledge and your information and your inspiration, then we're all better together. Better together. That's my second favorite Jack Johnson song, Chris. <laughs> ah, everyone who's been listening to this episode so far has been sitting, waiting, and wishing for this part two of the episode that we did, uh, the interview that we did with Kim Hurley and Jessica Conrad. So without further ado, here's part two of Kim Hurley and Jessica Conrad. Hi, I'm Chris Klein. I am the vice president of Impact Voices. We are excited to announce Impact Voices inaugural live hangout in celebration 2022 in Arlington, Virginia, October 7 and 8. This is the only conference which the AAC and business community will be able to network together. We are going to impact AAC users to dream big, empower them with tools to gain employment, and connect them with employers. 
We are going to impact employers by educating them about the AAC community, empower them with providing resources to hire an AAC user, and connect them to the AAC community. Please mark your calendars for this exciting conference. For more information about Impact Voices Inaugural Live, Hangout and Celebration, please visit our website or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. I think another piece that is becoming something that, you know, I've recognized within myself as um, not focusing enough on is looking at um, culture and language. And that piece, when we're talking about stakeholders and involving families in that process, that has been huge. And I think a lot of schools are recognizing, wow, we, we selected something not thinking about the culture and language of our families in our community. Um, the other piece that I see when people are coming to us, they may have done really well in this, um, you know, everyone has such and such, but when they transition to high school or transition to adulthood, the need for tools has changed significantly because the environment has changed and the tasks have changed. So, um, that has been a huge portion of the students that I get is like, okay, well now I'm, you know, trying to get a job at Wendy's and I need something that can fit in my pocket or I need something else. So I think that's the benefit of this. Like tier one doesn't have to look the same at all ages and stages, but making sure that all team members are aware, like, Hey, this can change. This can change at any point. We have a concern about, you know, you know, so-and-so isn't participating the way they want to participate or um, getting access to what they want to have access to. But at the same time, I'm really concerned because it often takes years for someone to feel comfortable saying, you know what, I don't think this is going well. And I don't think it should take years. I feel like that um, piece, I don't know why it's taking years, but we don't want to see that. Kim, do you have thoughts about that? The one thing that comes to mind is that I really do, like Jessica said, I really do worry about the longevity of a system um, because I have kids through high school, through that transition program um, in upper levels of high school. And, you know, even the, the apps I love the most, even the most robust apps, by the time they get to high school, some of those kids are really uncomfortable with, even though it works really well and they know the system and they can find all the words they need, they're still uncomfortable with, you know, touching these little picture icons because it doesn't look old enough. Um, with heavy, it's great because you can just take those pictures off and because they've got the motor plan, they know it. But even so, some of the times they're like, well, I, that's just not how my friends talk. That's, I don't, you know, and I worry that if my kids are learning touch chat, which is really great for really young kids. And I love it when they get to middle school, they might be like, Oh, and then I, what I worry is that, you know, so my tier one in the elementary school looks like one thing, but then tier one in the middle school looks like something else. And then tier one in the high school looks like something else. And then my poor kids who come up, but I have this for my tier one then go, I have to learn a new tier one. I don't know if I like that. And that worries me. And that puts a heavy burden on those middle school and high school teachers to say, well, yes, this is your tier one, but it's not their tier one. So you're going to have to learn multiple systems. And my biggest challenge with any kind of implementation is walking into a classroom and saying, we're going to do what's best for the student. Good luck. You've got LAMP, you've got Touch Chat, you've got Proloquo, you've got um, Speak for Yourself, you've got Snap plus Core, Model, you can do this, you know? And they're like, what? So, because right. I can't be there. I mean, I can do it. I get, I, sure, I'm used to this. I can do this all the time. But they're like, I've never had this much AAC in my life to be good with. And now you're telling me model on five systems. Yes. Well, and I heard you mention earlier coaching, and I feel like that's going to be an integral, integral part. And not, not, I don't think, I know it's going to be an integral part uh, to su su success because um, 
for for many many years we did i did great i thought great training without any sort of coaching follow-up and what it became was um no one really used it you know what i mean like i showed you what to do but then i left and there wasn't this ongoing follow-up um and that's what something we've changed over the 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 last several years is adding a coaching component so you can get better at the skill of modeling modeling um because it's a skill it's a skill to model and just like it's a skill to play basketball or it's a skill to drive a car you, you someone has to teach you and coach you through it so i feel like that's a that's really wise to be thinking through okay it's not just all right now you got this thing and now model on it but what does the coaching look like so you get better at modeling but the bigger issue that i heard you talk about there is this longevity uh across the um preschool through the age of 22 or so and having multiple tier one systems and how students would then be maybe asked to change systems or a teacher would be in a middle school environment might be like, well, I don't know this, you know? So in this initial conversation, again, where you're, you're sort of forming what this is going to look like, we've already talked about the uh, language. Um, so, and, and Jessica, I think that's so wise to add that in there. You know, what do the symbols look like? Are we really representing everybody um, in our core system? Uh, meaning our 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 core board, right? And it does the system support um, uh, multicultural uh, experiences. Um, okay, so that's one that's a line item in your consideration list. But another one is which one grows with the student, right? Which which tool when we're looking at the different tools is going to be consistent across the lifespan? Um, because what you're experiencing is something we've experienced as well, or I've certainly know students that are like, yeah, I kind of grew up with this system A, and now I'm working at Old Navy, and I don't really want to whip out that thing, and I have picture symbols, and other people don't have picture symbols, and so I want to maybe change and go and use some, something else, because I know how to use a system now. I just have to learn a new system, right? I know how to play a guitar. I just needed to learn how to play the bass guitar now, you know, um, so I can change where the words are. Um, uh, just give me something that feels a little bit more age appropriate. So uh, I wonder if touch chat is not a good option there. Again, we'll leave it to your team to decide because it does have like the quick edits. Uh, well, with word power, I think it has quick edits that you can add in these phrases. Now that doesn't mean you couldn't do that in other systems, but I just think it's a, uh, it's a little more intuitive in my uh, opinion there in that system. There's like a little button that says quick edits, you know, and then you can add in things uh, that can make it a little bit more, um, again, uh, uh, older, I guess, is maybe the way to put it. Um, that said, something that I think could also happen is that we're talking about uh, this bubble of students, right, that you are implementing this with K through two, and then that'll, they're going to, these bubble of students will go together and grow together, right? I wonder about the larger bubble of students, meaning what about the communication partners in the general ed environment? Like, what are they learning about? So that um, we've already seen over the last 10, 15 years, how many times have I used a GIF in a chat, you know, or do I send a little uh, emoji, you know, in a, in a text, we see that picture symbols are becoming more um, just how we communicate. Right. So I wonder with some education about students in general, like, yeah, all my friends are using emojis and pictures as well. And all my friends are using um, GIFs and I'm using images as well. Like it's just another form of image. It's convincing someone of that right now, an AAC user of that right now is probably a pretty hard sell, but teaching all of the other students to embrace those and understand what those are and model on them as well. Like why, why couldn't it's not just the K2 gets those uh, it's the K2 gets those like, you know what I mean? Like all the students get those uh, boards. So they're familiar with them. They see the symbols and it just is something they all grow up with. You know, I wonder about that is sort of uh, changing the entire culture around AAC. So people don't feel like it's so, Oh, I'm not doing what my friends are doing. Um, all my friends have access to this. They know who I am. They know I use this. It's cool. You know, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I, I live for the day when I can walk into a school building and every classroom has the same modeling board up 
and every classroom, regardless of whether they have an AAC user or not, has access to this universal design for language support, right? This is my, my giant dream. Um, so I'm all about I'm all about having peers doing that. Um, and I think maybe I can make that happen. But again, I'm just like this one person in a school district and I'm new. This is really new to them. This is a district that has been through some serious change and disruption. And so we've got a lot of people that are still kind of like, don't come in and make too many changes too fast. So I feel like I gotta, I've got to think long haul. And I wanted to start with this tiny kernel and then kind of move and have that little kernel sprout and grow and grow and build that up. Um, so yeah, I, I love that idea. And I really do want to build in the idea of modeling. In my previous district, in the middle school, we had a really robust peer helper program where gen ed peers came into the, the self-contained classroom to support those students as they went out to gen ed. And it was fantastic. And so the first week of classes, I would sit down with them and they'd come into the classroom. And I spent the whole day in that classroom and each class period, those peer helpers came in and I said, today you're gonna learn about AAC and today you're gonna learn about modeling. And I gave them each an iPad and I said, we're gonna practice modeling on these systems so that they could support my AAC users in, the, in that self-contained classroom, but also when they took them out to the gen ed environment. And it was amazing and fun and awesome but we're not there yet in this district. So, but I'm, I'm totally prepared to do that. I'm totally prepared to say, Hey, let's carry this over. Let's do this. Well, Kim, in that, best, oh, go ahead. oh, go ahead, Jessica. One of the best things since you were talking about touch chat. So some of the school districts that we have um, seen push out into gen ed to help support inclusion and things like that, being able to show some of those pages that relate directly to what that gen ed teacher is doing. So we've had school districts that have done zones of regulation and we show them like, hey, that feelings page, we can change that so it looks like your zones of regulation. And then we take that screenshot and everybody gets it and gen ed teachers love it because we all have a consistent visual and how nice that everybody gets to see the same consistent visual. The pages on literacy and um, schedules and things like that everyone loves. And I always love the fact that when we talk about, okay, you know, everybody gets access to these core boards, everybody gets access to these things. The amount of teachers who report back, this is great, except for one reason, they all learn to cheat on their spelling tests. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I love to see it. <laughs> you know what I would grow there, Jessica, is spelling test. What do I need? I need what am I being tested on my spelling when I have technology that can help me spell it for me? Right. Like, um, there's a growth, growth mindset there because of, uh, just, we grew up with spelling tests, you know? So, um, so something I was going to suggest Kim is that something that has worked well for me is to create a little bit of an IEP for myself, you know, like, um, years ago I was like, okay, I'm trying to implement this, this systematic change in a, in a, in a, in a, in a place that might, in every place, it's hard to make change, right? So um, something that really worked well for me was to make myself some goals, but I made um, like a one or two year-long goals, just like in an IEP, but then had multiple three or five-year goals. In five years, I want this to happen so that uh, I didn't lose track of it after a year or two, you know? So so if one of those might be based on our conversation, like, okay, funding for voice output devices, that's a three or five-year goal. It's not going to happen next year. Um, a standard practice in an elementary school is to have a communication committee of students that are maintaining these boards and creating the boards and have taken up teaching the next generation of students coming in, you know, boards. Again, that's not going to happen next year in a new place, but as a five-year goal, could that be something that is systemic? Like by five years, students are just going to roll like national honor society became a thing. Well, this communication club is going to become a thing and it's just going to be how this school runs from now until, um, and, and well, forever. Right. Um, but yes, I, I really like your thought of like going small, like let's pick one thing, let's implement this one thing, do that. Well, get my coaching down and then, okay, what do we want the next thing to be with a, a longer vision where you want to go, but small steps to get there. What are your thoughts? 
No, I like that. I like that because I do have a good, you know, like idea for what I want to do this year. But I like the idea of saying, okay, so what happens after that works? And that's, I think, where I sometimes forget to think beyond that. And I tend to do, like, I'll see a problem, work on it, and I'll solve it. And I'm like, great, okay, that's done. And then it's, I forget that, well, what's the next step? Okay, you did this, but now what? So I like that idea of saying, okay, now what do we do? Now that you've done this, great, what's the next step? Make it work better. Yeah, that plus I think what we talked about was um, a system for when it's not working, recognizing mm-hmm. that this is not going to work and what's that What's that system in place? Okay. Yeah, I definitely make sure that I know what to look for when that system's not working, but making sure that everybody else who's supporting these students understands, please tell me if you see these things too. Please let me know if you see this going on. And please be aware that if a student comes in with, for example, CVI, that we red flag that so we can make sure we know what to look for to make it work or not work or change. Jessica, what other thoughts do you have? I think we've got to talk about funding. I think we've got to talk about that piece of it because that has been a huge part of, I think Kim already kind of hit on it. Well, we need an evaluation to justify blah, blah, blah. And I have my own opinions about that. I don't think we need an evaluation for every single thing that we need to buy in life um, for students to have access to their education. But um, that funding piece really seems to be a big sticking point. Even small things like the amount of um, folks who come back and say, well, our IT department looked on Apple iTunes um, app store and found this app. That's a five-star app and it's so much cheaper. Why aren't we buying and have, to have that kind of conversation. Um, so I think, you know, the tier one, of course you're taking data all along, of course you're taking information all along, but having those conversations with, like we said, making sure that stakeholders are all on the same page, maybe you need to invite an IT person. Maybe you, you shouldn't make sure your administrator is on the same page. Why didn't we go with that $7 AAC app? There was a reason why. Um, and some making sure that you have access, you know, using things like the patents lending library or state local um, AT lending library for some of these tweaks that you might need to have. I've had a lot of school districts come back with, you know, we're one-to-one with Chromebooks. So the thing you choose better work on a Chromebook. Well, that's not really fair or appropriate. Um, no one else has to be limited by their choices just based on what the one-to-one initiative is. So I think, I don't have fantastic answers for the funding issue, but making sure that you are talking to all the right people so that you, and that you are using the correct language and bringing in the right resources to have that good conversation, I think is really important because the last thing you want to do is argue with your IT department about how many stars your AAC app has is the reason why you chose it or didn't choose it. Um, well, okay. So I think something you, that you mentioned there was like, we don't need an evaluation for every little thing. And it's certainly that is, there's precedence for that, right? I mean, uh, the Chromebooks that you mentioned, every one-to-one Chromebook, did we do a bunch of individual assessments to get Chromebooks for it? No, we just picked something uh, based on what we thought would the, the a criteria of needs might be. Um, and again, tweaking it from there when we know a student, again, visual visual impairment is a great example. We know that Chromebook's not going to work for them. Uh, we need something else. Um, what do you think about Kim inviting someone like that, an IT or administrator or both to this, this meeting of what you'd like to do? I'm 100% on board with inviting everybody who needs to be invited to this. Um, I am 100% on board and with creating this. I, I'm really invested in the idea of, I mean, my goal in life, and it's not just for my job, but it's my goal in life. And, and it, it's reflected in my outside involvement as well, um, is making sure that everybody has a voice in their environment, that everybody can say what they need to say when they need to say it the way they need to say it. So I don't just do this for my job. This is kind of um, almost my passion as a person to make sure that people are heard. So I'm all about giving anybody and everybody access to this conversation so that they can contribute with this and see where they can play a role. So to 
add to that, I think one of the benefits of having so many folks, especially like IT administrators, families, um, people who tend to stick around is one of the things that I was complaining to Kim about this last week was in the last couple of years, all of my go-to, I used to have classrooms that I would send people to like, oh, you want to see how this could look in a high school classroom? You want to see how this could look in an elementary school classroom? Go to this school district, visit this teacher, and you'll see how that looks in real life. And people love that. All of them are gone. All of them are gone in the last two years because people changed school districts like Kim did. People have retired, Um, you know, just those classrooms have disintegrated and we're just now starting to see, you know, that renewal in some areas, but we're, we're having a teacher crisis um, and speech therapist crisis in our state and across the country. So planning and making sure that your tears are going to last because should Kim win the lottery and not come back to her job, what's going to happen to those kids? If you have the families on board, you have your administration and your IT folks on board, you can still continue those tears if everyone understands why those tears were created and how to implement those. So it's not just Kim trying to hold up the tent. Um, You have a lot of folks involved in there and I keep on going back to families, but if our families are going to be with our um, students for the rest of their lives, I want to make sure that they're involved um, from the beginning. That makes a lot of sense. You know, if I think if Kim won the lottery, she'd buy all the kids iPads in that. Case. <laughs> Probably. Yep. Um, so, oh, so, so going back to having people at that, at that meeting, um, Kim, do you think that, the reason you're choosing a core board as the tier one support is because uh, because of funding. Meaning, if you could have a, an iPad with Touch Chat on it, would you do that for so each would, for each kid in the K two program? Right. So I love the idea of one to one, but I also know this classroom. Um, we have students in there who, for a variety of reasons an iPad one-to-one. I mean, and I would love to assign them one-to-one, but I could see enough people saying they're not ready for it, or they're going to throw it, or they're not going to use it for me to push that idea of one-to-one. But it kills me because they are one-to-one with Chromebooks in that classroom. So each student is assigned a Chromebook and it's in the classroom and they don't all use those Chromebooks. So yeah, I'd love to say, hey, let's give each of these kids an iPad with touch chat and only touch chat so that they can't say, oh, well, we're their handwriting program on there as well. I'm like, no, 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 no. I, yeah, and that's one that I'll argue about. But my my concern is that if I do say, hey, let's go one-to-one with iPads, then the IT department's going to say, great, so we can get, you know, the handwriting app on there and we can get their schedule app on there and we can get their, you know, yada, 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 reading app on there. I'm like, no, 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 no. The idea of not everything is on this device, at least for these kids, mm-hmm. right? I understand it for older kids where they can flip back and forth, where they find that it makes more sense for them to have their calendar on their iPad and their communication. And they're able to flip back and forth. These kids are still learning communication as their primary role. I don't know if I would get the buy-in to say, yeah, let's buy, get them all iPads. And I know that there are resources. Patents is a fantastic resource. They have refurbished iPads, which I have gotten and continue to apply for because they're fantastic and they're wonderful. And I just send out lots of love to them. Um, and I know that there are other ways that I can find funding for that. Um, but is, is an iPad necessarily the thing that they all need? I don't know. You know, I don't, a lot of these kids are mostly verbal or are, you know, highly apraxic, but aren't interested in using AAC yet to support their verbal output. Um, So I'm thinking more on the lines of let's get the teacher loaded up with um, chat editor on her computer so that she can put it up on the smart board. I've had a lot of success with that in the past so that the kids are seeing it big on the smart board. There's no voice output, but they can learn those pathways. Um, And that's been a big one. So the core board, I think, is really where people's heads are at right now. Um, 
long-term, yeah, I'd love to have an initiative that says we're going to walk into the self-contained classroom because it's a self-contained classroom. Our tier one support for communication is everybody gets an iPad. That iPad's going to have this app on it because that's what everybody's going to start with. But that doesn't mean your kid has to use that if it's not the best app. Do you, um, a middle ground, again, if that is a long-term vision, right, three to five years out, could a middle ground be, and it may be a little bit easier for people to swallow and a little bit easier for um, people to implement, would be the teacher gets an iPad and maybe the assistants get an iPad um, so that, that they could use. So you have chat editor up on the on the board, the uh, student, the students could have access to voice output, um, but it's based on the teacher kind of using it. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I love that idea. I would love to get funding for that. That is actually, that's a great way to, to kind of get it started is that they have access for it for modeling. Um, and then I am working consistently for those kids that really do need voice output right away to get them an iPad, either through the school or through the patents grant or whatever I can do so that they have that app available. Mm-hmm. All right. And then the other thing that I heard you say, Jessica, and I feel like it's a, uh... It's a thing around the country, if not the world, would be that turnover rate are teachers, right? So you get this up and going. Uh, now the teacher leaves in a year or two, um, and you're starting over. The team that maybe was selected uh, to make this decision is gone um, or has disintegrated, and uh, it's new new players that might like, wow, I came from a Lamp Words for Life district. Why isn't that the tier one support? I know that. That's sort of why I was asking about 3.5 earlier, if teachers had already familiarity with a, familiarity with a different tool. Um, so Jessica, what I heard you say, and I think it's so keen is there's one consistent force that is for, for a student that we can rely on more consistently than anything else. And that's the family. So I wonder if in the range of a, of a, of a, an IEP for ourselves, if it, if a three to five year plan was, what is our coaching model look like for a or training coaching implementation model look like for the communication partners that are most consistent, the family. So what are your thoughts on those? So we have a little bit of informal data in Indiana. Um, we've started, I've started tracking how many consultations I get that have the family there, how many trainings I get that have the family there. And all the time. Like it doesn't matter. Even teams who are really nervous about inviting the family, they're worried the family is going to be like, I don't want this. Why are you giving up on speech with my child? I don't want this weird tool. It has always gone better with the family there. Even if that's something that they really need to just get out there is like, they don't want this and okay, you don't want this. Well, why don't we approach it this way? That has always been better. And what we notice, what we know from the literature is parents constantly are concerned. I don't get the training. I don't get the support. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it at home. You're doing all these literacy activities and I want things. And in my family, my culture, my kids don't get to choose a snack. That's a weird thing to request or ask for. So how are you going to make it relevant to our daily lives? Um, So all the training that we've been doing with families um, and inviting families into that staff training has been really successful. We see greater responses, more um, information, things that have just made me cry with happiness over um, you know these things because parents are feeling heard or at least being able to ask a couple of their questions. And um, that has been better. And I'm really, really excited. We have a situation in... Um, Southern Indiana, mother of twins. And she was the one who decided, you know what, each twin's going to be on a separate um, AAC software. And we were really surprised she made that choice because she's a very busy family, but she looked at all of her choices and um, they had some data on um, the second twin trying the software the first twin was on. And she's the one who made the decision, you know what, let's try this other one. Let's, I'm going to make that decision that, you know, it seems like the second one is going to be more appropriate for my other um, son. And the things that kids are doing now is just moms. um, We have video of mom talking about the things that her kids are now saying and just um, when the son said, I want this, I want us, I want family. 
And that was the first time, the closest thing to I love you that this mother has ever heard from her child. And like, this is why we do it. This is why (laughs) we do that. And you will never take that joy away from that mom. That mom's going to remember that for decades and be the strongest advocate for her child's communication. So I think every time we can create a moment like that, and we have so many moments like that this year that I've been tracking this information and trying to get, okay, we invited this family in now what? Um, It's all been good. It's all been good. That's been my experience as well. The earlier you can invite them to be even in that decision-making process and work as a true partnership, the better. A couple of follow-up questions there, Jessica. The way you're describing it, it makes me sound, it makes me think that you're talking about a lot of the meetings that you've been in with parents have been around a tier three, meaning it's not like, all right, let's get some stakeholder parents in to discuss what the the tier one support is going to be for the entire classroom. Is that fair? Or you're like, no, Chris, we've had plenty of you know, collaborative meetings with, with parents to, to decide what the support is going to be in a classroom. Well, how is it? I I have not had the opportunity to work with a school district that has reported that they have involved family at that tier one, the school districts that say they're using one specific language with everyone. Um, I've not had any school districts report. They had family members involved in that conversation. So by the time I um, come into the conversation. Um, it has been tier three, like you described. Mm-hmm. Like I said, they're calling you in because something's not going right. So yes, yes. <laughs> right. Well, Kim, what do you think about that? Inviting families in um, and thinking through the the longevity of of coaching a family. Again, like I I can say uh, over the years, lots of training goes to teach to go has gone to parents, but the coaching piece of getting better at the skill of modeling or descriptive teaching, or really just implementing in general, I don't know, that is, has been a little bit more loosey-goosey in the world, in my, in my experience. What are your thoughts? I would love to get the parents involved. Um, my biggest barrier for that isn't that, well, there are a couple, and one of them I own, and that's that I'm relatively introverted, and so reaching out to people I don't know is kind of uncomfortable for me. Um, and it's really hard and I'm trying to work on that. And that's a personal thing and I own it. Um, but the other piece is a lot of times these parents that I work with aren't coming from an environment where they can say, sure, let's meet Thursday at three o'clock and we'll talk about this. These are people who work odd hours or who don't have access to vehicles who can't zoom in because they don't even have internet at home. Um, they're people who, even if we were to sit there and say, hey, we're going to talk about this as a long-term tool and strategy for your kid, aren't going to really necessarily grasp what that means. They are very, very much living in the moment, living in the, I just want my kid to listen to me and I want to, I want them to tell me what's wrong. You know, I mean, that's, so I really have to scale back and I have to remind myself to take a step back. You know, I'm, I'm up here thinking, long-term, let's give them AAC, let's teach them to communicate what they want to say, when they want to say it, where they want to say it. And mom and dad are like, I just want them to stop crying, you know? And so, and, and I can't come to that meeting. I've got work or I can't come to that meeting because I don't have a babysitter or I can't make it when you're there. Um, and then, you know, you get the ones that are like, Sure. You know, and again, that whatever you say, you're the expert. Um, And I really feel for these people because I want them to buy in. I want them to understand that. But I think there's still a step that they have to take before they can get there. And I don't know how to bridge that gap. Well, I think something that has, uh, I know I just mentioned this to some parents recently, and it seemed to resonate, at least with these set of parents, was the idea that uh, this is not new anymore. It might be new in certain areas, but we we have been doing what we're suggesting we do here for 10 years now, you know, like we're closing in on 10 years. So we sort of know what works and what doesn't work. We know what's not going to work is just focusing on uh, something that's... Um, two inches away from our nose. Do you know what I mean? Like we can do that. We can talk about those little moments, but there's, and we'll help you through those. And here's what to do in those moments, but there's a longer game to, to, to really show some, uh, that seemed the, the parents seemed to, at least in this one conversation I had like, Oh, 
you've been doing this for a while. That gives me some confidence that I, what you're saying makes sense. Um, that this isn't 10 years ago. We're like, Hey, we have this new thing. Prolo quo to go just came out on the iPhone. <laughs> I mean, like, why don't we try that? Like with a shrug of the shoulders or, um, there's a $5,000 device we could get, you know, again, I'm shrugging my shoulders and saying that facetiously, but, um, but that's sort of how it was 10 years ago. Now we have lots of experience, at least 10 years of experience, which is still maybe a little bit new, but uh, today's the best day ever to, to, to be a, someone who needs AAC because we have so many more people that know so much more about it. Um, so anyway, I wonder if that's not a, a case, Kim, is to think, okay, well, again, I won't be able to implement something for every parent and I won't be able to make it... Um, uh, uh, solve every single problem and do a coaching thing with every single parent. Could I pick one and get a proof of concept and be like, here's what we did. We scheduled out throughout the year. I'm going to meet with you these days. And we put this plan in together for this one scenario so that the next parents that come along is like, well, here's what worked this worked or, or didn't, you know, we found it that it didn't, you know, we thought we could meet six times, but we only ended up meeting four because life happened and, you know, but, uh, it, it just seems like what Jessica, what I heard Jessica say, and Jessica, what I heard you say was, um, involving the parents in developing whatever it is you're developing, a plan of action is always better than not. Right. So let's, let's try if that plan might be looking different for each individual family, um, because of their time constraints, then so be it. But maybe you just start with developing a plan for one family and then move from there. I don't know. Final thoughts. Kim, was this helpful? Is this what you were looking for when we, when you reached out? Yeah, no, I do. I think this is really interesting. And I think we have a lot of talking points for our own discussions that we're going to have in the fall with the other Indiana AAC experts. But I think this is a great um, way to think about it from my own personal experience and also a great way to think about it um, beyond my personal experience, you know, that I'm, I can then talk to other people and say, hey, here's some things you could think about here's some things we can talk about for providing AAC as a tier one support. And it doesn't have to be anything fancy, right? And just making it, my goal really is I walk into the classroom and I've done this for so long and I've made all the mistakes that everybody makes, you know, with the, this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it. And you're going to follow all my rules. And instead now I walk into the classroom and I say, how can I make it easier? Here's something we can use. How can I make this easier for you? And so the idea of, you know, kind of sharing that joy of let's make this easier. You can do this. Let's make it easy. And so I really, I like that. I think setting goals for myself to move to that next step, um, being able to talk to parents and say, how can I make your life easier is going to be something that's really important in terms of just getting buy-in. And Jessica, what are your final thoughts? I can't wait. This whole conversation has made me think about things that were 10 years ago. We never would have been having this conversation 10 years ago. And I think in 10 years, Kim's going to have a small group of AAC users who can then be her stakeholders in refining that RTI process. And that's going to be really exciting. Yeah, I, I'm excited for the future, too. I mean, with all these conversations and so many passionate people working at this, it, it's only going to get better, right? It's only going to get better. Cool. Well, all right. Uh, my final thought is I'll see you in November, right? I'm going to be at the Access to Ed conference, and uh, I can't wait to, uh, to, to catch up, Wonderful. see how it's all going. <laughs> That'll be awesome. All right. See you then. All right. Thanks. <laughs>